things tend to blow over eventually. So my fall from grace and the circumstances surrounding it followed suit after. I can't lie and say it wasn't tough being the butt of the jokes, rather than the one actually dishing them out. It was trying on my patience, and even more so, because I still had warden duties to attend to, and there was always an occasion when someone during my post rounds, or even during a routine fire drill, would make some smart ass comment, sending all those in company into rapturous bouts of fits of laughter. Make sure you don't sleep with Liam, you know. He'll only call you a fat git after and make you cry. Was one of their favourites. <laughs> the jibes weren't pleasant, but I had to learn to laugh them off and ignore it. And before long, they moved on to something else. As Claire no longer wanted anything to do with me, I was back on the single market. But there was no interest from anyone anymore. Or at least, I wasn't aware of any. It hardly came as a surprise. But in a strange way, I was quietly grateful. Because it allowed me to concentrate on the things that I'd been neglectful of. My studies. My other friends. And of course, football. Uni was going okay. But unsurprisingly, it would have been a lot better had I been bothered to attend. I'd been given a second chance, and yet somehow, nothing had changed. If I had practical sessions, I was the first one there, foaming at the mouth and raring to go. But when it came to the theoretical side, I showed less enthusiasm sometimes you wouldn't see me for weeks at a time. Again, that's not to say I wasn't capable, because I was more than. And when I could be bothered, I excelled and was top of the class when it came to debating and theorising. But I just didn't apply myself. And as times before, once I missed the first few lessons, I told myself as I'd missed so much work, there just was no point. I'd obviously not learnt the lessons from my plagiarism episode or having to do shitloads of work in my own time during the past summer. But I was still partly attending rather than not attending at all. And to me, that was justifiable. I still found time to hang out with friends keeping old relationships and making some new ones in the process. JJ and I, for example, still remained as close as ever. No matter what stunt I pulled, no matter how to death I took to a problem or how drunk and unbearable I became, he always stood by me. You can be forgiven if you ever get frustrated with someone who would always acknowledge the advice you give them, but then they never actually do anything about it. And although this was a trait I oozed, JJ was always there for me.
after Claire Flower attacked me. <laughs> Great shot, Claire. We booked tickets to see Kanye West in Birmingham in an attempt to cheer me up and get me away from everyone and the taunts for a while. And I must say it helped. I'd never been to Birmingham before, so it was nice to see another city in the UK. Besides London, Bristol, Newport, and Dorset. It was a cracking weekend away. One of which I don't really remember. And I wouldn't say that's anything to do with time past, but rather the usual copious alcohol and drug intake. Given the mood I was in, I no longer cared about the long-term effects drugs would have on my body or whether my body could actually handle it. And more importantly, how I behaved around others. I just wanted to forget about everything that had happened to me and becoming reacquainted with coke once again allowed me to become a completely different person. One that many of those I was in contact with liked and laughed with constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Up until my fallout with Claire, the only drugs I'd ever purchased on my own was MDMA. As cocaine was normally provided by JJ or others, but as I was no longer willing to dabble with MDMA so regularly, and after the coke-filled Kanye weekend, I deluded myself again into believing I needed the drugs in order to enjoy myself whilst out, but ultimately become likeable again. As cocky and full of myself I could be at times, I no longer liked me for me at times of sobriety. And cocaine allowed me to escape from any problems and negative thoughts I had for hours at a time. I couldn't rely on JJ to broker any deals for me because I didn't want him to know about my regularity. So I had to find someone else to supply me. Surprisingly, it didn't actually prove to be as difficult as I first thought though. As I soon found out that there were a lot of students in and around campus who either dealt or knew someone very close who did. It would have been highly irresponsible of me to just throw caution to the wind and ask anyone if they knew anyone who dealt. So I did my utmost to be discreet about it, always pretending I was asking on behalf of someone else. And I tried to never meet the same guy within the same two week period. I soon acquired good connections and then the snorting a line or two before a night out just became normality.
aside from all this, I was still active too. And still played football for David's team when I wasn't working. After my previous injury, I had taken some time out, as I had been too afraid of it happening again. But once I overcame that mental hurdle, I fully cemented myself as the team's golden boy stroke secret weapon again, with my name first on the team sheet, the one relied upon to get the goals or get the team worked up and roused whenever we were playing badly. I lost count the amount of times I was nominated man of the match by my peers. And although I was still playing with guys older and less technically gifted than myself, I always somehow looked past it. Because in truth, I grew to appreciate their effort as a team and their abilities did not matter to me. I was good, and in comparison to them, I was really good. And the true test of my ability would have been to leave the team altogether and play with people of the same or better standard. After all, that's the only way as humans we can better ourselves in life, challenging ourselves. But I was comfortable, and if it wasn't broke, I wasn't about to fix it. So I continued to lord the plaudits and the claim from men old enough to be my dad. They were a good bunch though. But when it came to socialising with them, outside of the football remit, I can't say they were times I hold dear and near to my heart. A couple of hours a week on a Wednesday was fine, but any more than that was too much and was something I tried to avoid at all costs. You see, individually, they were all manageable, but collectively, and put nicely, they were boring as shit. <laughs> and besides football and the latest TV show talk, we held very little in common. I don't know what it is about some grown men when they get together and hit a certain age, but they just regress to horny, lecherous teenage boys with about as much tact and subtlety as balls in a china shop. Collectively, as I said, they were embarrassing. And at the time, I was shocked at some of their antics and conversations. But obviously older now, I understand, although by no means justification, that that was and is something that some men do once they get married. Surrounded by other like-minded men, it was a chance to let off some steam relive past glories and feel wanted by someone other than their wives or children. It was sad 
and not something I was fond of. As given my personality, they took to using me as a tool to talk to groups of girls that would seemingly be deemed out of their league. I felt obligated to help, even though I deep down didn't want to. But I knew at the end of the day, much of the female focus from their futile attempts would eventually end up on me. Our Christmas night out at Jonglers epitomized that. The night itself was not exceptional by any stretch. It was just 12 guys sat around eating, drinking and watching stand-up performed by comedians both old and new. It was what you expected from a comedy show. We laughed, we joked. The compere even mocked me for being the only black guy surrounded by 11 old white men. To which I replied cutely that he ought not to worry as those days were over. And further applause and laughter came from the room. Once the show finished, the tables were moved and the room became a nightclub. And following normal routine, we stood around on the outskirts, looking at everyone else have fun, dance and enjoy themselves. That night marked the first in a while I'd been out under the sole influence of beer alone and I remember feeling out of place and on edge. I still didn't like the taste of alcohol, let alone the awkward flat taste of beer in a plastic cup. Ugh. Oh my gosh. So how I was expected to enjoy myself and be the usual entertaining Liam was a conundrum in itself. Plus, it was even harder to relax and settle when the DJ's record collection consisted of right said Fred, Aswad, and every prehistoric song known to man. As a result, I gave up all hope of entertaining myself, let alone anyone else. But as the night mercilessly dragged on, the more everyone drank and the more insistent the guys tried to convince me that they could be a perfect wingman to me. That night, like any other night I was with them, I was far from interested. Do I think you have a chance? Um, yeah, I mean, look, no, I'm all right, thanks. But all the same, too polite to say otherwise. So instead, just humoured them. Tell you what, you go first and I'll be right behind. How about that? Which only made me irritable. And the more irritable I became, the more I realised I wanted to go home. Ugh, 
flipping hell, man. It was at the stroke of midnight when I'd heard enough of Banana Rama telling me that they were and without hesitation picked up my leather jacket and just walked out without so much as a backward glance or thought about those I'd left behind. As soon as I stepped out, the cold air hit me and I realised that although I'd not had much to drink, I was a lot drunker than I originally perceived. <clears throat> and the desire to stuff my face was so overwhelming that I drunkenly marched my way to the nearest kebab shop and bought myself a large chicken shish kebab. Chicken kebab. Proudly exiting the shop with my food held aloft as if it was something to be proud of. I stepped out onto the street again and was about to hail a taxi when my arm was grabbed and for a split second believed it was someone trying to steal my food so swung round ready to blast the food thief Get up, up. Oh You alright? Only to be met face to face with two of the nicest looking girls I'd seen that night. One was brunette, the other blonde, slim and similar in height, but completely doled up to the nines. They looked good, in fact very good even, but in truth they were no different to the usual, clubby, stereotypical, trashy type of girls you'd see on a night out. That being said, as I quickly scanned them both before deciding what to do or say next, I couldn't help but notice how long the blonde's eyelashes were. And I remember being mesmerized by them. I felt myself ready to comment on her nice eyes which would have been, of course, incredibly weird. But before I had a chance to say anything, the brunette piped up. All right, mate. How's it going there? You had a good night? She said. You're really hot, you know. Look a bit like Kanye West, for sure, don't you, Madeline? Chirped the other. <sighs> Only I could have stumbled across two attractive women who when they opened their mouths to speak sounded as if they were well suited for the Brad Pitt role in Snatch. I shuddered internally but smiled at them not wanting to engage in conversation mainly because I was still focused on my food in my hand. But also I was in no mood to stand there and decipher through what they wanted to say. So, I thanked the girls for the compliment and promptly apologised 
before waving my food in front of them. <laughs> Sorry ladies, we'd love to stop and chat, but as you can see, duty calls, I said, and I bowed my head respectfully, turned on my heels to leave, but was stopped again by the brunette. Where you going like Nate? Me mate Jess here wants to talk to you. You can't leave us stood here like a couple of tits. She told you she thinks you're hot. As if someone flicked the on switch on in a really dark room. My reluctance to stick around and overwhelming desire to go home quelled slightly. I can't explain what it was she said that made me all of a sudden take an interest. But as requested, I stopped and listened to what they had to say. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Alright, well, you got my attention now, so go on. Be quick. I said, cheekily and smiling wryly. I'm listening. The blonde, whose name I later found out was Jess, then mumbled something incomprehensible to the brunette, which resulted in the pair erupting in caucus laughter. Whilst I stood looking at them both, suspicious that the whole encounter could actually be a wind-up. But when the brunette spoke next, I realised it was anything but. I'll leave you two lovebirds to it then, like. She beamed. Take care of yourself, Jess. I'll be seeing you back at the hotel. She laughed before she winked at me and then trotted off into the night, leaving a smug-looking Jess and a confused-looking me behind. Okay, um, sorry, where's she going? What's, what's going on? I asked Jess quizzically, confused as to how she'd just been left with a stranger she'd met only five minutes before. Don't worry about all that. She said. Where'd you live? Local? She asked, completely ignoring my question before continuing. Because I'm coming to yours. I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. Yeah, yeah, you two are, you two are good. I'll give you that much. <laughs> There's always a time and a place for those sorts of things. I get that. Really, I do. But you have to understand the ridiculousness of what was being proposed, especially to a drunk person. And although I wasn't completely inebriated, I wasn't drunk and naive enough to take everything I was told seriously. By the look of dissatisfaction on her face, I soon realised that my laughing hadn't gone down too well. But I don't really know what she expected with an offer and a statement like that right off the bat. What she suggested was like something out of a Hollywood teen movie and the kind of treatment reserved for the likes of A to D list celebrities. To date, I had never taken someone home after a night out, but I imagined if I ever got the chance to do so, I would have at least had to buy them a few drinks first. 
engage in some kind of menial conversation about what the other did for a living, or exchange one of the most overused chat-up lines between girls and guys, being, Hi, my name is so-and-so. You having a good night? Who are you here with? But there was none of that. So when I looked at Jess, with her eyebrow raised and lips tight, I realised I wouldn't get another offer like that. And seemingly, back against the wall, had no choice but to follow through. Oh, you're serious? Okay, well, um, I don't know what to say to that. Um, <sighs> um, all right, well, if you're coming, you better come now. I said nonchalantly and turned my back on her in yet another attempt to leave and get a taxi home. Luckily, there was one part directly in front of where I was stood. So without having to hail it, I jumped in, turning my head sharply in the process, half expecting to find and see Jess scowling and stood looking at me with disappointment. But instead, I jumped with fright. Uh, oh, bloody hell, what is wrong with you? To find she was directly behind me, beaming. Let's get going then, like. She demanded shrilly. We can talk about it on the way. Got some rules I want to share with you, you know? Ah, oh, look. Rules. Firstly, she didn't want to exchange details or share any personal information. Not that it bothered me. Additionally, she didn't want either of us to know the other's name, which was quite redundant considering I already knew hers. It was to be classified as a one-time thing. And the wrapping up was for sure. As if it was going to be any other way with a girl I just met. As she continued to lecture me, I just zoned out and sat in silence for the rest of the journey home which gave me a welcome respite from her jarring voice and accent and a final chance to think about what I was doing. What I intended to do was unheard of for me. So Liam, you're about to engage in sexual activity with a complete stranger. Are you that lonely and desperate for some comfort that you're willing to sleep with just anyone? If a girl was in your position, she would have been branded and labeled as slots. So what makes you any different? I question myself endlessly all the way home. But no matter the doubts, no matter how much my conscience and morals battled against my ego, my ego was always going to win. You win! And when the taxi pulled up outside my halls of residence, 
there really was no turning back. And we climbed out and went into my flat. I wouldn't have minded if the sex had been mind-blowing. But I once again learnt the hard way. And that good looks do not make you an expert by default. Maybe if I'd gone into it with lower expectations, I'd have come out a lot happier and more satisfied. But she never really stood a chance. I was the coldest I'd been towards a woman, more controlling and certainly a lot less reassuring and affectionate than you should be with someone you're having physical relations with. When she tried to kiss me, I moved my head or pushed her head away, albeit playfully, but still it was obvious. I failed to ask her if she was okay if there was anything I could do for her, if I was hurting her, all things I would normally do. But there was nothing. We didn't speak at all through the 37 minute session, albeit the occasional grunt or moan exchanged. And had there been any onlookers, it would have been more than obvious. There was nothing long lasting between us. The only saving grace was that she looked nice, coupled with a fantastic body. And I guess I fulfilled a black guy fantasy of hers. But that was it. When all was said and done, I dreaded to think what it would be like the next morning. So rather than face the unnecessary awkwardness no sooner had I reached my peak, I rolled off her and grabbed my phone and called her a taxi to take her wherever she wanted to go. Ah, uh, you got any free taxis going? Yeah, as soon as possible, please. I wanted nothing more to do with her. And I hope my actions and the urgency to see the back of her made that clear. Thankfully, the taxi didn't take long to arrive. So once she dressed, I tossed some money her way and gently pushed her out of the door. Never to see or speak to her again. Hmm. Let me say that um, I'm really ashamed of that recollection. Truly I am. Believe me full-heartedly when I say that. At the end of the day, no matter what rules she imposed from the start, and no matter how drunk we were, people 
no matter who they are, deserve respect. But the mere fact she was a total stranger who found me desirable, well, it made me forget all of that. I can't explain to you the power and grandiosity that can give someone going forward. Especially as I'd only just come out of the shit situation with Claire and with no admirers whatsoever. The incident itself is still one I can't believe to this day. And it's not one I hold near and dear to my heart, as you can imagine. Hmm. Yeah, in hindsight, something inside me died that night. And I developed and went through yet another character transformation. One that would stick and form the template of my uni life to come. That caring after a girlfriend, Liam, was all but dead and buried giving birth to an uglier I could give a shit about anything Liam who was more arrogant and self-involved than ever before things were destined to run out of control after that and to make matters even worse I never did get to eat that chicken kebab 